The people of Pace University are doing amazing things, and I want you to know more about them. I am Marvin Krizlov, the president of Pace, and this is the Pace Cast. Across our three campuses, Pace University isn't just located within our communities, we are an integral part of our communities. We are good neighbors and we give back. Today, I want to talk about Pace's commitment to service. Heather Novak, who runs our Center for Community Action and Research, CCAR, is here in the studio with me. So is Cindy Kanisher, who runs the Pace Women's Justice Center at our Elizabeth Haub School of Law. Lorianne Gutierrez, a junior on our New York City campus and a recent winner of the Jefferson Award for Public Service, is joining us by phone. Let me tell you about some of what we do to serve our communities. Across our Pleasantville and New York City campuses, more than 2,000 students were enrolled in civic engagement courses last year, and hundreds more participated in service activities contributing close to $1.5 million worth of service to our community partners. At the Elizabeth Haub School of Law, we run several legal clinics that serve the Westchester community, including the Women's Justice Center, the Immigration Justice Clinic, and the New Food and Beverage Law Clinic. The New York City Mayor's Office ranks Pace as one of the top three colleges in the city for number of volunteers and for hours of service. So let's start with you, Heather. Those are impressive numbers. So tell me a little bit about the center. How do we get so many students involved? Well, Pace has been a leader in this area, and I'm very grateful to have this opportunity to talk about all the exceptional work Pace has been doing. Um, We were founded in 1991 through a grant uh, whose purpose was to engage liberal arts in community work and service learning. And since that time, we've served the entire Pace community with offices on both undergraduate campuses and continue to support the community service, civic engagement, and reciprocal partnerships with nonprofits in our communities. And I gather 9-11 brought about some changes in in the way we thought about this. What can you tell us? Uh, 9-11 was pivotal in um, really birthing uh, the civic civic engagement and public values requirement for all all undergraduates at Pace. Um, We were indirectly impacted by September 11th. We had um, office spaces in World Trade. We lost alumni, we lost students, and we were also a staging area after the um, after the initial um, experience. And so there was really a lot of discussion about our place um, in a changing world and what we do in times of turmoil. Um, and so um, there was a core curriculum revision, which is the required courses that PACES, you know, PACE students take. Um, and there was a commitment by faculty to um, see not only how we could use uh, what students were learning in the classroom to get them a better career or the kind of job that it is they wanted, but also to see how these disciplines, this information could also be used to impact their community in a positive way, um, regardless of what career it is they decided to choose. So. This is a required course for all undergrad civic engagement. What are the types of courses that students take 
to fulfill that requirement. So we are uh, grateful enough to have courses running out of every undergraduate school. So um, I'll give you an example in um, Seidenberg. Um, uh, Pauline Mosley has been teaching web design for not-for-profits for over a decade. This is students learning how to do web design, um, not for uh, imaginary clients that don't exist, but for nonprofits in the area who need that assistance to be able to outreach to their communities. Um, I'll give you an example in um, Dyson. Uh, we have an economics professor, Walter Morris, whose um, expertise is on poverty and income inequality, and he teaches a course, uh, an economics course, where students work um, with uh, designated organizations, and they take what it is, again, Dr. Morris is teaching them and seeing how that actually works out in the real world. And what about community service outside of courses? Sure. We offer plenty of community service student uh, opportunities. And this is where, you, you know, we bring students together. Um, we take them to, uh, we organize reciprocal relationships with these organizations. They get a chance to learn more about opportunities and organizations in their community and learn how they can volunteer again if they wish on their own. Um, and some examples of that would be packing food at Feeding Westchester or staffing our mobile food pantry in Pleasantville. Um, perhaps in New York, it would be working with provisions um, with OMA or clearing out a community garden with New Roots Community Farm, just some examples. And I gather some of our students even use their breaks to take on some uh, community engagement. Yes, we've been running alternative spring break um, uh, for over a decade. Um, it is one of the great experiences where we bring students from our New York campus and our Pleasantville campus together for a four-day um, service immersion around a particular um, uh, social or, or a community issue. For the last six years, we've been focused on disaster response, and we've been doing disaster relief um, believe it or not, still on Hurricane Sandy. Um, so we've, um, everybody is really kind of attracted to um, disasters, whether they be natural disasters, or humanitarian disasters, right after that thing happens. And we really wanted to show um, that long after the media um, goes away, that these communities are still rebuilding. And so um, this is an opportunity for students to um, look locally at the impact of disasters um, on their communities and also put that into um, a national or global context. So outside of courses, what brings students to come into the center and want to work with you? There's really no one pathway that students come to our office. Um, we really see students from all different areas and all different reasons. Some come to PACE with that kind of ethos that they're interested in serving their community. Some people become passionate about an issue and they seek to touch base with us on working on it. Um, certainly, there are students who are looking to, for opportunities to use their skills. Our students are very well versed in social media, and that is something that not every nonprofit has. Um, they may do that as part of the work that they do with the club and organization. Um, they may want to plan their own community service events and work with the center to figure out how to do that. 
Um, they might want to work with a professor who's teaching a civic and engagement course as a TA or do research on public or commu uh, community issue, and that's their entry port. Certainly, they also might be looking for a job, which is also something that we offer. And, and what do you hear back from the students who've gone through CCAR? I have so many um, examples of uh, amazing things that our students are doing and have done. Um, I can just speak about our alumni, um, some of which who came out of our office and are running the volunteer um, program at Feeding Westchester. Um, and she, Gendry Dela Cruz, is um, supervising 10,000 students a year um, working with Feeding Westchester. We also have multiple alumni who are faculty who are teaching civic engagement courses on the Pace campus. Um, an example of that would be Reginald Flowers in Performing Arts, um, Ashley Marinaccio in Sociology, um, and uh, that's just a, a few. Well, thank you so much. It sounds really exciting. And now let's turn to Cindy Kanisher. Cindy, you do a very different type of work. Can you tell us about the Pace Women's Justice Center? Sure. Well, so uh, the Pace Women Justice Center also started in 1991 on the law school campus. And um, we are a, um, you know, uh, we are a legal services and training and research center um, at uh, the law school. And we provide services for survivors and victims of domestic violence, sexual assault, and elder abuse. So we have a couple of different programs um, that exist whereby we provide these services to the community. Um, and we serve about 3,500, excuse me, 3,500, <laughs> 3,500 clients a year through our programs. Um, we are a staff of 33 with 25 lawyers, and so some of our programs um, are just uh, lawyers who are practicing, but we also use uh, students and volunteers from the community um, to help us to provide our services. Um, we have a walk-in clinic on our main office on the law school campus where we're serving about 40 clients a month who are coming in who need help um, understanding what their legal rights are and what their legal options are as a result of being a in a domestic violence or abusive relationship or if they've been a victim of sexual assault. Um, because for people, they really don't have the opportunity to sit down and speak to a lawyer. That's not going to cost them anything. Um, all of our services are free. Um, and for many of the clients that uh, come to get help from us, if we weren't there for them, they wouldn't uh, have a way to understand what their legal rights are. Well, and if someone's listening to this and wants to um, get involved, how how would they do that? I mean, if, if someone might have a problem, how would they contact you? Well, um, there are a couple of ways that people can access our services. We are, we have uh, walk-in clinic, as I said, they can come walk-in without an appointment um, to our walk-in clinic, um, which is located at the law school at 78 North Broadway in uh, in an amazing, beautiful new space uh, on the campus. Um, as you drive down, you'll see the office, or they can call and make an appointment 
Um, our phone number is 914-422-4069. We also have a legal helpline where we get about 2,000 calls a year from people. And that number is 914-287-0739 where they can call and a lawyer. We have volunteer lawyers who were supervised by staff um, who answer the phone or someone if if no one answers, you leave a message and someone will call you back. And then you can get help over the phone or make an appointment from there. Wow. It's really impressive, the range of services. And I gather law students, PACE law students, um, are involved with this as well. Yes. Actually, um, the program, our family court legal program, was our first program where we would we ventured into direct legal services, and that is our program where we um, work with law students um, in both semesters, uh, you know, where we have six to eight students who are part of our family court legal program. They work with uh, one of our staff attorneys who teaches the class um, where they learn about family court and domestic violence and elder abuse. And then they also work in our courthouse offices. We have a courthouse office in the White Plains Family Court and also in the Yonkers Family Court, which also are walk-in offices for people who come to the family court who want to or in need of getting an emergency order of protection or emergency custody or support for their children. So the law students work in that office uh, under the supervision of our staff attorneys and volunteers, and they get an incredible experience learning, you know, uh, experiential learning, because to be a good lawyer, you need to, it's, it's more than just what you're learning in the classroom. So they learn how to write up a legal petition so that it's sufficient, how to interview a client, and then they actually, under a student practice order, go into court and represent the client in front of the judge. In addition to the immigration clinic, I think we also do work with criminal justice and yes. and also environmental. So yeah. um, a lot of great student experiences at the Help School of Law. And my sense is, having gone to your annual benefit a few times, that the Westchester legal community and the Westchester community more broadly is very engaged in your work. Can you tell us a little bit about how you interact with those communities? Yes. Yeah, so um, it's really interesting that, I guess because we've been around since 1991, that um, and that there are so many alumni from the law school who work in the Westchester area that they know about the services and they know about the Pace Women's Justice Center. So they, you know, we get judges who will see people in court who are not represented. And we've heard clients say, I was in front of the judge and they said, go see someone at the Pace Women's Justice Center. So we do a lot of, uh, we do a lot of outreach. For example, we do a lot of work with police uh, departments in Westchester. So they know that when they um, are working with somebody or respond to a call that we can be a resource for them. And we work um, with a lot of the law firms in and and also the service providers who are seeing people who are experiencing domestic violence. And as they're talking to them, they realize that they need um, legal help. And so they'll make a referral. So we have grants where we partner with agencies. Um, and, uh, you know, even the, the judge who is the head of the Ninth Judicial District, she's called our family court legal program with our you know, law students, an emergency room of law um, right in the courthouse. And, and judges just love that the people who would otherwise not have a lawyer are getting the benefit of having this legal expertise. It's a great public service. And can you give us, again, 
the number for that hotline that you mentioned earlier? It's a helpline. Helpline, um, sorry. Yes, no, that's okay. The, and, and the reason that I make that distinction is because um, we don't want anybody who's truly in an emergency to be calling that. And we say that on the line. Um, uh, so our helpline is 914-287-0739. Great. Thank you so much. Lorianne, I want to bring you Hi. in. Finally. Hi. I know you want to be a lawyer. Are you interested in being a public interest lawyer or what, what are you interested in? So um, when I first entered college, that was definitely um, a, a primary goal of mine to eventually um, get into law school and uh, become a practicing lawyer. Uh, I wasn't really sure, though, what I wanted to specialize in, but I think this past summer, um, when I interned with a nonprofit uh, through the Wilson Center at Pace, actually, um, it's called the Asian American Federation, I think that experience really solidified my interest in perhaps becoming a public interest lawyer. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I'm still keeping my options open, but I think that that's the route that I want to take, and that's where um, I would fit in best. Well, I, I know you're going to have lots of options. Um you're very involved in public service here at Pace and that you just won the Jefferson Award. What is the Jefferson Award? So the Jefferson Award um, essentially awards people who do things um, just just because they recognize that there's a need in the community and you know that um, and that they can um, they can use their skills to best impact um, and serve other people. Um, I think that that's the Jefferson Award, like it, it really does speak to like a lot of my personal values. Um, a lot of the volunteer work and the, the service that I do is definitely not for recognition or just something to put on my resume, but it really is uh, a sort of lifestyle that I've chosen. Um, and I'm really lucky to have had the opportunities that I've had um, with regards to that. And, and what's the public service work that you do? So I work as Student Projects Coordinator at the Center for Community Action and Research, or CCAR, um, on the New York City campus. And um, although I officially started this position uh, this past spring 2019 semester, I had been involved with CCAR ever since I was a freshman, which and it really has been such a large part of my college experience, and I'm very thankful for that. Um, so when I first entered college as a freshman, I knew that I was interested in volunteering because I had volunteered uh, a lot. Uh, when I was in high school, I volunteered with a nonprofit organization called God's Love We Deliver, um, mm. which is headquartered here in New York City. And um, I continue to volunteer with them as well, um, as often as I can. Um, essentially, I was tasked with delivering non-perishable food to people who were um, incapacitated in any way from buying or from buying food or cooking meals for themselves. And so, um, so yeah, when I was a, a freshman at college, I knew that I was interested in volunteering and serving others and just being um, an active member of the community. And so um, I stumbled upon the Center for Community Action and Research. I think our advertising really is great. Like I saw um, a <laughs> bunch of posters just advertising different um, different events and, and different um, discussions. And I w it really did pique my interest. And so um, I think I attended this one sort of info session and that was enough for me to, to really, um, to make it a point to get uh, involved in the center as often as I could. So throughout my freshman year, I volunteered in their events such as Paint to School Day. Um, and I also uh, was a mentor with this organization called Read Ahead, where I read with a student in an elementary school uh, once a week. And so that was a really great experience as well. Um, 
So yeah, so ever since I was a freshman, I'd involved, I've been involved and worked with the center. Um, and then fortunately, I had the opportunity in the spring of twenty uh, spring of twenty eighteen to co-author a letter addressed to Senator Schumer, uh, essentially calling for the repeal of the Dickey Amendment. And so that letter was entered into a competition. Tell us what the Dickey Amendment is. So the Dickey Amendment um, essentially prohibits the CDC or the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention from conducting research on on virtually anything pertaining to to finding solutions to, to gun violence or to anything related to uh, gun violence, um, anti-gun violence advocacy. And so um, especially through our... Uh, our anti-gun violence initiative, that's something that we really stress that this is a, we, we see this as a very nonpartisan issue. Um, I mean, like advocating for the repeal of the Dickey Amendment, it's, um, we want to get rid of it because it's, it's prohibiting, you know, the, the, um, the opportunity to look further into this, into the issue of gun violence and to find comprehensive solutions. So, um, that's essentially why we wanted to get rid of that piece of legislation because we think that, you know, we could do so much more in terms of gun violence advocacy, um, but we have that that piece of legislation that's preventing us from from really advancing our knowledge. And has has the Congress acted, or Senator Schumer, or what's been the result of your advocacy? So um, I think, as we all know, change doesn't happen overnight. Um, there's there's just a lot of um, um, it's all kind of up in the air right now. Um, but what we were calling for in our petitions was for Senator Schumer, Senator Gillibrand, and Representative Nadler to effectively um, do what they can to uh, to repeal this amendment. And um, they they heard us and during our lobby visits, and they seemed like they really wanted to support our initiative. But um, we haven't seen much movement with it, honestly. Um, but I, I do think it is, uh, in terms of finding solutions to gun violence, it is it is kind of at the at the top of the list as something that's like a, a tangible thing that that can be done. Well, recent events certainly make it on our fr- our front of our minds. Um, Lorianne, it seems that you are so motivated to serve and have been doing that from a relatively young age. What what do you think drives you to want to do this work? Yeah, so this is something I think about actually very often, and especially when I was uh, when I first entered college as a freshman. Um, I really do cite. Uh, I, I really do credit my freshman year as, some, as a very like transformative time in my life because um, that's when I knew that that um, I wanted to be a ma- I wanted to major in political science and I wanted to study philosophy as well. Um, and it really was a time of reflection about my positionality here. Um, in this country as a Filipino immigrant. Um, I, I do think that in many ways that that's, uh, my Filipino identity um, is is a large part of um, why I feel so passionate about about um, advocating for social change and this ensuring that we live in a more fair um, and equitable society. Um, I do also give a lot of credit to my parents who've always been so supportive of me. Um, I'm the first person in my family, in my entire family, to attend university in the United States. And so I've never seen this as um, something to be taken for granted. And so I think that um, my drive to to um, to sort of always seek out opportunities and to never take the opportunities that come my way for granted, um, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, um, I am an immigrant and my parents made so many sacrifices for me to be uh, where I'm at today. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I, I really, 
um, and especially through my political science courses, you know, um, you hear about the atrocities that are happening, not just in our country, but around the world every single day. And, um, and I just realized that like with the resources that I have in college, there are real things that I can do right now to sort of advocate for social change. You know, I don't want to just learn about an issue. I want to be able to do whatever I can um, uh, in my capacity to, to sort of make that positive change. You know, you are a real inspiration and a, a deserved winner of the prestigious Jefferson Award for Public Service. Um, I'm going to throw this question out to you and our other guests, Heather and Cindy. How would you encourage or what would you say to PACE students who are thinking about dipping their toes into the world of whether it's CCAR or the PACE Women's Justice Center or other service opportunities? What, what do you think the message should be? Let's start with you, Heather. One of the transformative experiences for me here at Pace um, was a, a reading circle we had with um, Robert Putnam's Bowling Alone. And it talked a lot about the breaking down of social capital. Um, that social capital as a, as a thing that we really didn't look like about, really didn't think about as being a, a very major component of our communities. And for those of you who haven't had the pleasure of reading it, it was uh, initiated by um, Robert Putnam when he found that th all these bowling leagues were starting to disappear and these connections between people were breaking down. And I think um, showing up is so important being present and being in places and supporting um, people that you care about and meeting other people who have different perspectives this is just another opportunity to be able to do that and i think right now we're many people are f experiencing this anxiety about meeting new people or having conversations with people who are different than them or experiencing different perspectives and i think um, being brave and showing up, I think, is, is you know, beneficial for us all. Cindy? Well, um, you know, I think about uh, what, what we talk about in, in, at the center about, you know, what our work really means. Um, and, you know, when, when we think, you know, yes, we're, we're providing legal services and we provide it, you know, to each individual client. But what we really think about um, is sort of the larger effect of that. So it, we, we realize and we know that when we are helping one person who lives in a community to make sure that they're safe in their home, and for our clients, for example, it's usually a woman um, or someone in a family and they have children, and the domestic violence affects the client and it affects their children and it affects the rest of their you know family or their friends. So when we're helping one person to feel safe and have access to justice, the whole community is benefiting from that. And so, you know, safe people make safe communities. And when our communities are safe and people are living their best life, then then that sort of, you know, goes out into the rest of the world. And I know it sounds sort of big, but but it really does start small like that. And so, you know, that's the way we think about it. And when students come and work with us and you know, we have undergraduate, we have college students working at, at us with us and law students. I think they get that sense that, you know, one individual person, it, it's making, it's, it's changing lives and it's changing, it's changing the world. <laughs> Lorianne, to you. So just from um, my discussions with, with fellow students, um, just uh, 
personally and also um, as a student project coordinator at, at CCAR, I've noticed that there's really this, this um, very palpable sense of wanting to do something and wanting to affect change. Um, I think it's upsetting when, you know, the media sometimes mischaracterizes people in my generation as, you know, people who are just passive and who don't really care about social issues. But from my experience and from meeting and interacting with individual people, um, I think we're very much so aware, especially with social media, of, you know, the injustices that do um, occur in our society. And a lot of people, I see a lot of people who want to affect change and, and who want to, to see change happen, but they don't really know where to start. And so, especially during the events that we host at, at CCAR, you know, a lot of, um, I, I, I can see that a lot of these events really, like, reinvigorate students and inspire them to, to, um, to realize that there are things that they can do today to sort of, um, to sort of make change in this world. Um, for example, during our tabling events, when we're advocating for, um, for, to, 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 to address an issue such as food insecurity, um, I think a lot of students are surprised that, you know, doing something such as writing a letter to, to their representative can really uh, make a big difference. And so um, I try to, with, with anyone I come across, with anyone I speak with, I, I try to really emphasize that, you know, as cliche as it sounds, it really does take just one person to, to sort of act and to, to be open to discussion as well and to not, um, and to kind of get out of their comfort zone, you know, to really like, um, to to make a conscious effort to interact with people, even if they may have opposing viewpoints, but to to really engage in a sort of open discussion and and to to collectively, like as a community, uh, work to find ways to um, to advocate for the issues that they care about. I am inspired by all of you, and I thank you. I think we all should be grateful to the work of you and your colleagues as we um, contemplate. Um, what we have and what we value. Um, so thank you all for what you do. And uh, I want to encourage, uh, if you're a student or somebody who wants to help make a difference in your community, please reach out to the Center for Community Action, CCAR, um, and Heather or Lorianne or one of their colleagues will help you. If you're interested in the Pace Women's Justice Center, Cindy Kanisher or one of her colleagues will help you as well. Um, I want to close today's PaceCast by thanking you, um, thanking you, Heather Novak, Cindy Kenisher, Lorianne Gutierrez, for joining me. Thanks, as always, to the Department of Media, Communications, and Visual Arts on the Pleasantville campus, where professors Kate Fink, Paul Zeke, and Luke Ranieri make this PaceCast podcast happen. I wish you all a very happy holiday season. We'll be back in the new year with a new PaceCast. Until then, we'd love to hear from you. If you have comments or ideas, you can write me at president at pace.edu. I'm Marvin Krizlov, and I look forward to talking to you on the next Pace Cast.